we've kind of stayed level as far as the number of customers we have, even though we're really, really busy. People who leave, they go to Starlink, but the funny thing is they come back. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm here today speaking with Valerie Fasthorse, the IT director at the Coeur d'Alene Tribe. Welcome. Hi, great to be here. It's it's wonderful to have you on here. You're someone who's been doing great work for a very long time, and are, you are hard to pin down. I think one time we were going to talk, you got several feet of snow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We get a lot of snow here. Um, luckily, right now, there's it's a nice, sunny, clear day. So actually beautiful building weather. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> weather like, um, can I build or can I not build? <laughs> yeah, this time of year, you never know, right? Yeah. You're in the uh, northern part of Idaho. Um, is there anything else that you might want to share with people about uh, that area? I mean, it's stunningly beautiful, but uh, I don't think you want to tell people that because you don't want more people moving there, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, no, we have enough people. <laughs> no, but um, so, yeah, I, I live on the Coraline um, Indian Reservation in north Idaho, and we have about 380,000 acres of reservation land that includes mountains and crops and fields and rivers and lakes and you know all sorts of stuff it is really beautiful here and you created red spectrum uh which is a broadband company that serves a majority of the tribe at this point right yes um so red spectrum was actually was born out of necessity um way back when i first started working here for the Lane tribe that was in 1999 there was no broadband on the reservation back then um, and, and probably across the United States, um, everything was dial up. Um, so you have to dial in, do your thing, log out, um, dial up here um, was a long distance call. So while we were online, it was totaling long distance rates. The local phone company had not invested in any of the infrastructure here probably since the first time they placed it. So we couldn't even get 56K, which was the fastest speed back then on dial-up. So in the year 2000, there was a broadband um, grant opportunity. It was a pilot project by the USDA RUS. And they were wanting to build broadband in rural America. I applied for my first grant ever. And we were awarded 2.8 million and we built a wireless, um, a wireless company. It wasn't a company at the time, it was a program, a wireless broadband program. And so we took everyone off of dial-up and everyone was on, instead of being, you know, 56K, our slowest speed was 256K and our fastest speed was one and, one and a half megs per second, which back in those days was like lightning fast. Everyone, we were heroes. <laughs> everyone loved us. <laughs> I believe it. And I think, do I remember correctly that that you got some inspiration from Matt Rantanen at the time with Tribal Digital Village? <laughs> I saw what he did and I'm like, I'm doing that. That's cool. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's really cool. But what's interesting to me is how few others did it. Uh, you know, I, I feel like you did it and I'm sure there's a few others, but it's, um, we're seeing a lot more of it now, but uh, you are really ahead of the curve. Oh yeah. Oh, Matt was ahead. And then I followed him. <laughs> followed the leader. <laughs> well, Matt has a big enough head. So we'll just focus on uh, the work that you've done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, I mean, what I what I find interesting is um, one of the things you said before we started recording is that, um, you know, in terms of what you're doing now, it's grant writing. What were you doing then? Grant writing. It's like, you know, the the work, your work, I think, is not as exciting as people might think, not as fun and right. technological. Right, right. So I don't really like writing grants. Well, that's the love hate thing. I, I like writing grants because I love what I, I could possibly do if we get awarded. And so, you know, I've been writing grants. That was my very first grant ever. And then after that, I was like, okay, I know how to do this. And so I've written several more grants. I wrote a grant to build a radio station, for instance, which we have a a full power FM radio station here, um, right behind me. (laughs) Um, I've written other grants um, to to upgrade our network. So we started out with wireless just because that was the quickest, fastest, easiest way to roll out and bring broadband to this part of the um, reservation. And then later on with the internet content becoming more heavy and high definition and just really heavy, heavy content, um, wireless doesn't cut it for everyone. So we had to switch it up and we um, applied and received an award to do a fiber to the home project. So we did that, and that wasn't a 100% grant. It was 50-50 grant loan, so we're still sitting on the debt service. But we did it. We have Fiber to the Home now in all the uh, major communities on the reservation, um, which is Plummer, Worley, Tensity, Smith, um, Conklin Park. And we have several more areas that we still want to build out to that we just didn't get to do yet. Well, you, I was just reading before we started that you had received the CARES Act funding and like others, you had to figure out how to spend it within the deadlines and the challenges of it. And, uh, and so I guess I, I'm curious, how have things gone uh, since uh, the pandemic? Uh, you obviously are in a much better position than many other tribes who have no, no significant internet access and didn't have the, uh, the sort of talent that you've accumulated to be able to expand. So how have things gone since it became even more important for everyone? So, yeah, since the pandemic, then suddenly everyone was signing up like we we're going to run out of Internet. <laughs> Almost <laughs> Hurry up. Come get it while it's here. <laughs> right. You got to go to the store, grab your Internet, grab your toilet paper and get back. Right. Home. So, yeah, <laughs> that's the last one. You got the last one. <laughs> yeah. So we've had at least 80 to 90 people in the queue at any given time since then. We, the queue never goes down. The, the, the more people we hook up, the more people that sign up. But. The weird thing is the churn because then we kind of stayed level as far as the number of customers we have, even though we're really, really busy. Starlink has entered the game and they, they've they stolen a lot of our customers. Um, people who leave, they go to Starlink. But the funny thing is they come back. <laughs> is it a price issue? I think they don't get the level of service that they thought they were going to get. Starlink advertises a certain speed, but you know you just can't do satellites what we can do here on the ground mm-hmm. were you mostly losing your wireless customers to it or were you also losing some fiber customers wireless yeah that makes sense yeah but they they still come back just because the ping and latency with satellite just doesn't can't do what we can do mm-hmm. and now you serve outside of the reservation as well right you've uh, expanded where you've had opportunities to yes we have a, a great number of people in um, washington state um, we have a tower that hovers and, and it can see both sides of the border so we have people who are on the washington state side who sign up they have line of sight to any of our towers 
And so how does that work in terms of the the revenue? Are you in a position where are you mainly looking for grants to uh, fund capital expansion or do you need to have yes. grants to help? So you're able to cover most of your operating costs or all of them? All of my operating costs is just grants are just, yeah, to build out and expand. Well, that's a dream for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a major accomplishment to be able to cover all your operating costs. A lot of folks, I feel like when you start with grant funded infrastructure, I feel like there's like a valley you get into that's hard to get out of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciated about the very first grant was that they asked for a seven-year pro forma. And so they forced us to do the homework before we even got into the game. And so we had to take a hard look at the numbers. It's like, can we really afford to do this? And if we do, what does it look like? So what was your background then? You know, I mean, not to come back to Matt, but he was always reminding people he was a graphic designer who turned into this. Uh, what were you doing before? <laughs> you were obviously the IT director, so you must have had more of a background in the tech at that time. So my IT inspiration before Matt came from the military. I was in the Army. I was served in Desert Storm. And I was assigned to the information management division, which we were in, we were in charge of rolling out all the communication and information technology infrastructure, which included telecommunications and included satellite internet in Marsat is what they were called. Um, it included all the workstations, databases, um, mobile phones back then, which were hooked to your car. <laughs> you could use those as a weapon if you needed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rolling out all of that, and then they said it was the information war, and it, it started and ended so fast because of information, and that inspired me. Like, you know, I want to go home and do something for my people surrounding that type of thing. And so it was always in the back of my mind when I left the military. I didn't immediately do it. When I got out of the Army, I had a hard time getting a job with my tribe. Um, I, I was missing deadlines. They're so like, oh, you put your application in five minutes too late. I'm like, oh, shoot. Yeah. I'll try. <laughs> so I ended up working in um, corporate America. I was in a manufacturing company. I was a pure metal um, operator. I purified metals. We took metals from four nines and brought them to five nines and six nines and seven nines. Wow. If you know what that means. <laughs> well, I, mean, I have a sense that it would be very, very, very pure at that point. <laughs> yeah. So five nines is 99.999% pure, which was not pure enough for us. So we would bring it to a higher levels of purity. Six nines and seven nines was our average. Yeah, if I remember correctly from telecom, to give people a sense, I think five nines, if you look at that per year, is a few hours, is like that leftover amount. Uh, and so if that gives people a sense, then you're going from, you know, from a time unit, from hours to minutes per year. That's a, that's a purity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I, had, I was working in the manufacturing world for a minute, and then I, I finally got a job with the tribe. I call it breaking and entering. I came in the back door. <laughs> I got a job with social services. <laughs> and then you got like punished a... and sent to IT. Is that what happened? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. What happened is social services is a job. By, uh, it's a field by itself. It's like the parable of the boiling frog. You jump in, you jump out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not like it. I, I still have clients and users, but they're different clients and users <laughs> in the IT world. <laughs> That's one of the things I'm curious about because a lot of people are in a position similar to yours where I feel like they're trying to figure out broadband. Um, you were confronted then with a seven-year pro forma, and I'm curious how you went from feeling comfortable with the tech to being a business wizard with it as well. So in the very beginning, when we were a program in the tribe and we weren't actually a business yet, I was spoiled because the tribe took care of the finances. You know, they paid, they paid the bills. You know, I, 
provided the funds, but they paid the bills. They did my HR. Um, when Red Spectrum actually broke off in 2016 to become an LLC, and then I had to go out and find my own staff to do that. So I had I always had the technical staff, but I was missing the the accounting side of it and also the HR side. So I had to, I had to outsource that, and I still outsource it. I don't have anyone on staff who's doing it. As a matter of fact, today I have an interview with an, another bookkeeper. And so is that something you did locally then? Or were you able to find someone in the community that would do it? Or how did you find that person? Um, I had people in the community. And right now I'm running out of people in the community. Um, turns out we don't have a lot of people who are fans of being accountants or bookkeepers. And so the, the talent that I'm attracting right now is actually from Spokane, Washington, which is like a 45-minute drive away from here. Um, he's going to come here today for an initial visit, but will more than likely work remotely most of the time. Okay. Well, I am curious about the community radio. You noted that, and uh, I'm fascinated uh, by that. Uh, I believe it was the first, right, um, community radio, uh, tribally owned community radio station. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So back, I can't remember what was going on. There must have been some kind of grant or something, and the tribal council asked me if I could look into it and see about building us a radio station. I'm like, oh, sure. I've never done it, but all right, I'll try it. <laughs> So I went after some PTFT funding, which was the very last PTFT funding from NTIA and was awarded um, almost a half a million to build the radio station. And so what is that used for primarily? Like, is that something that uh, a lot of people are listening to? Uh, what, what, Why is it worth you having done? Community radio station is, you know, so that you can, so you can um, do locally relevant content. Like you listen to the radio now and it's in Spokane, Washington or Coeur d'Alene, but what do they know about the Coeur d'Alene tribe? Do they know that in October we have Water Potato Day? Do they know that, you know, we have um, historical battles and that we have coyote stories in the winter? I mean, you know, what do they know? They don't know that stuff. They don't care. We care. <laughs> so it's culturally and locally relevant content. And do you find that the younger generation is excited to help uh, like run the station and, and make sure there's content coming up and that sort of a thing? Or is it something that, uh, you know, that they're kind of not into? I think the younger generation see it as a dinosaur because they, they like podcasts. <laughs> they like <laughs> <TikTok>. <laughs> See, I love podcasts, but I'm also a big fan of community radio. I like that, that local flavor. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's the drive time. You get in the car and you get to listen to something and you hear something different when you change the station. It catches your, you know, your attention. Right. Uh, so then one other thing that, that had popped into my head when um, uh, when I was thinking about what I want to talk with you about is I feel like in the work that we've done with the tribal broadband boot camps, um, we were just recently uh, with uh, Mohawk Networks with uh, Allison Mitchell, and then we came over a little bit closer to you in um, Cheyenne River Sioux uh, Tribe Telephone Authority with uh, Mona Thompson in Eagle Butte. I was trying to remember the name of the town in Eagle Butte, and uh, and in both cases, I felt like the tribal-owned ISPs felt like they were providing a really important service, and they obviously were, and they're doing a great job. But they felt like in the community, they just kept getting bad reviews <laughs> in that like people didn't want to talk about how great the service was for a lot of folks. It was more like, well, these people aren't connected, or you had an outage, and there was just a, a sense of like a lack of respect, I feel like, for what they had accomplished. And I'm kind of curious how you – so you, that's not something you've had to deal with, it seems like. Very little. I mean, we have 
more people that are happy with this than are than are not happy with this. I mean, of course, the unhappy ones are going to be the loud ones and catch everyone's attention. So, like, if I get called called to the boss's office, I'm like, yeah, you heard that one unhappy customer today. I have 1,200 other happy customers. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and so I'm curious then with uh with where you are, what is what are the next steps? What uh what challenges do you face? Like after this interview, what are you gonna be banging your head against the wall over? <laughs> I'm still looking for funding. I mean the beads coming around the corner, but that's really, really slow. So I'm looking for other opportunities. Just I have plans to build out still. I'm still trying to grow the company, even without any more infrastructure, there's still room for growth. You know, we only have like a 30% tank rate. Um, because of the competition in other areas that we provide service. So, you know, maybe just trying to go after some of those other customers that we can serve without more money. You have a higher take rate in the areas where you have fiber? Yep. And so that's the other thing is the Coraline Tribe is building houses, brand new houses. And so they built out, they're building 30 new units in Worley. They did some units here and some units in the agency and down in Smith. So we're hooking up all those units with fiber as well. So we're staying busy. Yeah, I'll bet. What is your sense of the funding that's available? I mean, are you, uh, will you be able to get anything from the tribal broadband connectivity program? Are you mostly looking at money through the state? Don't qualify for the tribal broadband connectivity program. They want us to be listed as a, a place of high poverty and we're not. Oh, okay. Well, that's good and bad news, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then um, you're looking uh, to try and tap into the state funds. How's that going in terms of? I struck out. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I just got noticed like about a few weeks ago that we didn't get it. So. Well, there will be new funds coming about, but do you have a sense of that the, the state is just not looking to serve in that area or because um, obviously the state worked with you on the CARES Act, so they're not totally shutting you out historically at least. No, no, they're not. So what it was, it was a point system and we didn't have enough points. So the areas I'm trying to build out to are just like rural areas, um, rural routes, actually. And they weighed a lot of points on if there was a school in the area. Well, there's no schools. These are just, you know, little roads here and there that have a bunch of houses on them. Mm -hmm. There's not like a school on that route. Do you have a line extension program in Idaho? I'm just familiar because Minnesota, where I am, we actually have one. And um, it's sort of like, so in a grant program, like a larger grant program, they're usually looking for like those like you're describing, I think a larger area and you might be connecting many hundreds of homes or, you know, a line extension program is more like you might be connecting like five homes over here and 12 homes over there. Now, there's only like eight states that have them as of right now, oh, but wow. I think we'll see a lot more of those in the future. I don't know, but I'm going to find out now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the sort of thing that I feel like is what you're looking for, right? Like, cause you're just trying to fill in gaps. It looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Really. That's what I'm trying to do. So I have my major core infrastructure built out, but there's these, these little routes here and there that I need to get them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of us, I, I think expect that when the bead money is fully expended, there will still be a lot of people left over, but they will be really scattered. And, and we think that most States will probably have some kind of line extension to just deal with that. Cause like, it's not like you're going to face a lot of bids to connect five houses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's been really great catching up with you. Is there anything else that, that you want to share? No, I just would like to thank you for asking me to be on the air and this is really a good time and it's been a while. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it is exciting uh, just to meet uh, people like you. I feel like who have like, you know, I mean, the way you described your story, 
I feel like you're sort of bouncing around and then you found something and you've been doing this work for such a long time, making a real difference. I think you've inspired a lot of other people. When I bring your name up, people are inspired by what you're doing. They're trying to do like the way you look at Matt and you were like, you know, you do what he did. There's like so many people now who I think are looking at you and thinking, God, I hope we can get to that point. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say to people, you know, that performer was a, a very big deal, you know, to look at your business financially in, in terms of, you know, what can you sustain? And then also your local talent, you know, like we try to grow our own. Um, my network administrator is from here. I got him straight out of high school and trained him up, had him working alongside a, a senior network admin and also my broadband operations manager, he's been around for a long time. He actually built the very first ISP in North Idaho. So I was lucky to get him and he, he stayed with us. And then just the rest of the people here, I are they're all from here. You know, they don't have to have, you know, knowledge coming in the gate, but, you know, they develop it and they develop a love for the industry. And that's what keeps them here. How, how do you know if someone is the right fit for that? And I, you know, to some extent, I think for some people, it's obvious. There's just so good. They fit in and it's great. But I'm sure you've had people come through who you hoped would work out and they didn't. And so I'm just curious for, for other people who are trying to do the homegrown approach, what, what tips do you have? I would just say, you know, just keep an eye on their morale. And, you know, if their morale is good, then you know that they love their job. And if they just come in grumpy and they just hate their job. I, I'm honest with people. I'm like, you know, I don't hold hostages. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. There's hundreds of other jobs somewhere else. You know, I only want people who love their job. Mm -hmm. Love what you're doing. Yeah. Other than that, you're, you're wasting your time. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you again for, uh, for speaking with me today. You're welcome. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.